whenever you are and however you happen to be listening, we are so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC. Hey, are you one of our geeks in sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run? Guess what? We're going to be with you in your ear holes, helping you out, encouraging you for 90 plus minutes with gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be. And that is completely free. Thanks to our sponsors this week, Blue Apron and Casper. They're bringing the show to you. DLC, of course, the show all about games in their many forms, games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always, by my friend slash co-host slash nemesis, the guy who still refuses to be my valentine. Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. I want to congratulate you on being the first male to land a sync tuple triple spin in competition this year. It's really it was it was jaw dropping and to do it in front of the sister of the leader of South Korea, um, North Korea names are getting all wrong. But just what and the luge, what a performance you and how you single handedly yeah. won all of ice hockey. You have had a great year. I'm doing great. Yeah, they call me the sow cow. Uh, but I don't think that's complimentary. I don't think that's supposed to be a compliment. Um, I am not watching any of the Olympics. It's weird. I usually love the Olympics. I'm just not. I think that's called having a small child at home. But uh, I haven't watched any of it. Are you watching? I'm watching. I'm watching with my daughters. Uh, they're like, why aren't we watching My Little Pony? And we're like, well, this only happens once every four years. And they were like, okay. Why aren't we watching My Little Pony? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not impressed. Yeah. Um, well, we won't be talking about the Olympics. We got other games to talk about. <laughs> See what I did? Uh, we have video games and lots of them. Oh, man, I'm so excited to talk about some of the stuff that I've been playing this week. And even better, we have an awesome guest to do it with. You know that DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, oh, man, I'm excited because DLC stands for delivery brings life to characters. Because we have the actor who has voiced characters from many, many of your favorite video games, including Gone Home, Cod Blops 3, Final Fantasy 15, and For Honor. She also happens to be a legit hardcore gamer herself. We are so excited to welcome Sarah Elmale here. Sarah, hey. thanks for being with us. Hi, thanks for having me. That's not my voice. Hi, this is my voice. Hello. <laughs> She's a chameleon, a, vo- a vocal chameleon, folks. <laughs> Um, Sarah, I'm such a fan of the stuff you did. You played the main character in Gone Home, as I mentioned, and um, so many other games. How did you get into voice acting in video games? Um, good cue. I I kind of went to go out and meet developers. I like I did the normal. Traditionally, you would get agents and demos and do that whole kind of side of things, which I did also do kind of separately. And then the other one was just literally me showing up to conferences and being like hi i do voices put me in your game um which Hello, how most people i'm do here it. to do your voices <laughs> i do the voices put me in your game please yeah no i was like i there's actually i think footage of me i think blair heard her like put me in a segment at my very first pax east which was the very first pax east actually and that was like the only conference i knew about for games and i literally showed up and was like this is where everyone does business right <laughs> like cast their video <laughs> games um yeah, so then I just, it was me, I kind of did just meet developers um, at G- GDC, and I was in New York at the time, so at places like Baby Castles, um, and that's where I met Dave Gilbert, who put me in a lot of Watch Die adventure games. Um, so yeah, it was kind of like half the normal route. But were you... Go ahead. 
were you doing were you doing VR stuff, uh, VO stuff before that, or um, and and were you a fan of video games? Like, did oh, yeah. you intentionally say, "Hey, I want to get into video games"? Yeah, yeah. No, I I played yeah. I played games and loved games forever. I think I I, I charted this recently. I think on an, in another interview where I, I mean I loved games forever. Curse of Monkey Island is like imprinted on my sense of humor and like and 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 for those performances are like in my in my blood now um so that was kind of a, an aha moment i think mark hamill and full throttle was an aha moment major aha moment i was like oh my god luke sounds so weird and scary and awesome um <laughs> and then knights of the old republic was when i realized that someone had the job um and that i wanted also um and then doing radio dramas in college which i i actually adapted curse of monkey island <laughs> curse of monkey island into a radio drama in college um, that was when I started messing around with voices and sort of appreciating how they, the, the special opportunity to play people that didn't look like me. And so mm-hmm. that was how I fell in love with voiceover. And then, yeah, from there in New York, once I graduated college, I was like, who makes this stuff? Put me in it. That's really cool. I, I wonder, I would love to get your perspective on the state of VO and video games, because I think clearly you are working at a, at a high end that we all are appreciating the AAA games that have, um, you know, multi-million dollar budgets and are able to cast people like you who are SAG actors and bring a certain level of quality and talent. And you've also done a lot of indie games that probably don't have comparable budgets, but I think, I think it's only within the last, I don't know what decade that, uh, video games have really recognized the need for talent like you that, is actually professional. And I think there's still, I think there's still a lot, there's a big quality gap between a lot of what I have, what I play and what I experience and the, the best of the best. And you don't see that, I think in other medium, but that, that have to hire VO talent, right? You don't see a bunch of cartoons that are just sort of like, Hey, there's a guy around the office. We could use him. Um, what, what is your perception of that? And is, do you think this industry is slow to move in that way? Is, is, do you have an opinion about that? I do. I'm trying to harness, like, it's, so, I, I feel like you kicked off like five to 10 different opinions about it. But, um, I mean, yeah, I came up through indies. Um, and in many cases, those were people that, lucky for me that they were like, I was the only actor they knew. And so the fact that I was okay, yeah. maybe fine, was like, oh, good. Oh, thank God. You know, um, so yeah, I, I mean, I'm probably the one of the few, maybe a handful of voice actors I know that are that moved. I mean, I've only done AAA since I moved to Los Angeles a few years ago now, um, and before that, it was all indie games. Um, so, two things. I, I mean, I do think that voiceover the standards are getting there. It's maybe getting better overall. I mean, again, those touchstones that I mentioned were incredible voiceover. I think there's a bit of a myth that we've never had good voiceover, or only recently are having good voiceover in games because the precedents are there. Um, but a sort of, but at the same time, there was like whole swaths of the industry that just found it acceptable to not have good voiceover. And I think that maybe lingers mm-hmm. in certain ways, either with certain companies or in certain genres, maybe even indies. I mean, they, there's an indie aesthetic, I think that I fight uh, often or not fight. I mean, every game is what it's meant to be. And, and, but there's an aesthetic of a silent protagonist or sort of an evocative, um, a way of conveying atmosphere and story that doesn't involve voiceover, um, just kind of as a flavor. Um, and so I think it's not that I want indie games to be any different than they are, but I would encourage developers to include voiceover in their kind of palette as a tool, as an option, as kind of a piece of their expressive capability, um, in a way that I think maybe is about more diplomacy and examples and and conversation and collaboration. And so that I, I hope, um, and that's true, I think too, in AAA, um, 
so yeah, so I, yes, there's definitely room to go, but I do, but I, I hold fast to the examples that kind of inspired me growing up because they're, they're there, they were powerful and they, they changed my life. So. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with all of that. I, I, I don't mean to press you on this or ask you to throw any colleagues under the bus or anything, but I, I wonder if there is something inherent in how video game voiceover is mm. usually recorded sure. or can be oh, recorded sure. that causes there to be sometimes this, um, you know, this, this gap in, in quality or, or at least this feeling, because, you know, if you're doing a commercial or a cartoon or anything that has a linear start to finish, mm -hmm. you're recording it and you understand when the, that line is coming and who said the line that prompted it, you know, all that stuff goes into your performance, mm -hmm. but so much of video games you could be saying a line and you have no idea when or where that line mm -hmm. is going to happen in the mm -hmm. game, right? Is there something about the process that needs to change? There's um, there's things about the process that – well, the, the game process – that's the other thing is to be a, a, a game voice actor means you are proficient in – a whole, a wide range of, I mean, to be doing everything means you are doing a lot of different kinds of things. So, I mean, if you're doing performance capture, you have the benefit of other actors um, with you. You're using your, you know, maybe you're using your face and your voice and your body um, in a kind of a weird patchwork quilt of like theater body, you know, voice over voice and on camera face, but you have other scene partners. Um, that's one discipline that is game voice acting. The other is like you said, like pure stripped out. I mean, doing, you know, three in a row on lines of battle chatter of, of like grenade, frag out, whatever, you know, completely out of context without any artwork or circumstance or anything, just your own imagination. Um, and that's exhausting and challenging and imaginative in a wholly different way. So yes, that, that the mo at its most isolated um, and stripped of context, it's, it can be exhilarating and it can be frustrating because of the lack of information that you have. Um, you, when you pull it off, it can feel like you're, you're, in the Olympics because you're like, I'm just it's such an athlete, you know, mm -hmm. I'm so amazing Throw whatever you want at me. You'll get three different levels and, you know, four different distances, whatever you want. Um, but, but ultimately, yeah, like, I mean, I find that I, that acting is reacting and that having seen partners is where joy and inspiration kind of comes through. And I think that that's, now we have some game examples to look to um, that set that, that, that are making use of that. I mean, something like the last of us um, or just kind of the work that Naughty Dog does, is about actors in a room reacting to each other in a way that's beautiful and that's not overwritten. You have all these different departments kind of collaborating on story, serving story first and foremost. And so you have, you don't have to overwrite dialogue because you know your actors are going to deliver it with nuance and kind of subtext and all kinds of interesting things. So you don't have to be like, I'm sad. You can be like, ah, dang. <laughs> you know, I mean, like you can just do very, very little and <laughs> yeah. you know that the cinematography is going to yeah. serve the mood and everything. So yeah, I mean... It's it's tough. I think if you are making a game that wants to serve story, there's ways of, of pieces of that process you should consider doing, even if scheduling is hard, even if getting actors together is hard, even if giving them, you know, all the information they need is scary because of leaks and whatever. Um, and if you're making something that isn't that, maybe you don't need all those pieces of the process. I mean, I've done, I've even done indies. I did Galaxy um, from my home studio, which I'm in now. I did most of my indies from my home studio. And, um, and we Skyped in, um, my scene partner and it was glorious. I mean, they did, they wanted his girl Friday in space. 
And I was like, and that's maybe my favorite te- like reference that I've ever gotten in a game. I was like, oh my God, yes, please. And that was just like high octane patter back and forth, yeah. improving and, and just having fun and very connected. And so the, that's the other thing I would say is that it's not always a technical, technological consideration. You can have that kind of collaborative, um, you can reap the benefits of that without, you know, paying for a massive motion capture volume. Um, so yeah, does right. that answer, that's sort of out roundabout. Does that answer your question? No, I love it. I, you know, this is kind of the first time we've had anybody that has as much experience as you do in this medium. And I, I'm just interested to hear your, your take on all that. Um, very cool, but we can move on now and, and move into the, the show proper and start the way we always do with story of the week. Story of the week, it's the story of the week. Story of the week, it's the story of the week. Story of the week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration by visiting our subreddit. That's 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Lots of cool conversations happening there. Fun folks hanging out, talking about the show, talking about video games. And we got a lot of interesting stories this week. Uh, Sarah, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? I want to hear about microtransactions. We got some big news from a uh, financial report from Activision Blizzard this week that mentions microtransactions, mentions that Activision Blizzard made $4 billion with a B in microtransactions in 2017. And that's a whole lot. Uh, of course, Activision also owns King, which are the makers of Candy Crush and a lot of other mobile games. And of course, those games rely heavily on microtransactions. But even if you strip out the revenue from King, which is $2 billion, there's a remaining $2 billion that, uh, that uh, they got just from PC and console microtransactions. These are in-game purchases. This is over and above what you pay for when you buy the game at retail. And this is from games like Overwatch and Call of Duty. And uh, that's an awful lot. And Call of Duty Black Ops. I mean, this is a game. And Heroes that, of the Storm. Yeah, Heroes of the Storm. Right? I contributed my favorite. Yeah. So they made $7.16 billion in revenue in 2017, which, you know, I think that's what you call a good year. Uh, <laughs> and... Over half of that was microtransactions. (laughs) So clearly this ain't going anywhere. Uh, Sarah, how do you feel about the fact that even a company as large as Activision Blizzard that is selling a heck of a lot of boxed retail copies of games is still making the bulk of their money not from the game itself, but or not from the purchase of the game itself, but from purchase of in-game doodads? Are you okay with that? Do you think this is a worrisome trend for the industry? I, hmm. I mean, I have been that person who spent a lot of money on Mass Effect 3 multiplayer, so I feel like I can't point fingers. Um, but I'm, ve- I'm also very, very old-fashioned. I'm very used to... I, I was just talking about this in terms of um, theater experiences that you pay for and sort of are locked as productions and then kind of the tight feedback loops you have with... Um, player participation that you have in game development and sort of differences there. And I am very, I tend to be very stodgy where I'm like, you pay for an experience and then you have it and then you get to feel however you feel about it. And that's what you paid for and sort of not kind of teasing out or adapting and just 
the way that that game experiences blossom into these whole other spaces and and are affected by ongoing participation and ongoing financial buy-in is like I don't know I, I like I'm still kind of looking around me and in shock and wonder um, as this happens I don't I don't know I mean that's so much money it's a lot of money it's a, it's a lot of money and it clearly I think indicates that this is not going anywhere anytime soon we got a lot of controversy at the end of 2017 with star wars um yeah. battlefront 2 and how a lot of people viewed that as being uh, a sort of predatory version of microtransactions in their multiplayer where you know the the coolest stuff and and stuff that was tied to progression was tied yeah. behind it and then disney stepped in and they yanked it all out so mm. there was maybe some indication that oh maybe this will change but i think if you look at the amount of money, the way that this clearly works and people are lining up to, to spend big dollars this way. It certainly doesn't seem like it's, it's only, it's only going to get, I think more skewed in that direction and not less skewed. I think there's soul searching. It just becomes about what, I mean, I, I am comfortable paying for cosmetic alterations to stuff when it comes down Mm -hmm. to things like experience and sort of meaningful balance within the game system. I think then there's a call as a designer to consider, you know, what knowing that people will pay for it, you know, what kind of experience you want everyone to have as a community together um, and leave them with. So I think that my answer is probably just it comes down to, to questions of taste and and what exactly you're paying for um, more so than than just the fact of them altogether. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I, Christian, what do you think about this? Um, Sarah clearly is pointing out and I think is persuasively that what's wrong with that? You know, like the, the, there are plenty of cool things in video games that I'm happy paying for. And if people are clearly paying for it and happily so, then why should we worry? I think that we are moving faster and finding ways to exploit the human yeah. psyche and mind and trigger addictions and coerce people into doing things we're we're moving in that way faster than we're moving toward understanding the effects of all of those things and so i feel like to talk about this stuff right now we're going to have a very small picture of what it ultimately leads to or becomes in terms of understanding user data and microtransactions and predatory microtransactions Mm -hmm. microtransactions that we make uh out of our own free will so to speak and understanding whether or not that affects gameplay. I think it's hard to look at an idea of something that, you know, this is only cosmetic or this, that, and the other versus was this, does this make the game better? Does this microtransaction, is it required for the game to come out? Otherwise, they wouldn't hit their funding goal. Does it make the game meaningfully better? Or is it included because it's made by a company and that company's main goal is to make as much money as possible for their shareholders or their private owners? And you get into questions that I think are larger than, is a cosmetic loot box okay? I think the question becomes, is it beneficial for our hobby? And I think right now, again, we're at the infancy of this and understanding it, but I would argue right now, it does not. It does not enrich the games in any meaningful way and make them appreciably better than if they weren't there. But I look forward to being wrong, uh, you know, 20 years down the line. <laughs> I, I just want to say, I don't think I'm on the other side of that binary <laughs> as a position. I think that um, if you're paying, if you are now charging people to fix your game or to correct an imbalance that you've d- put there by design in order to create that need in them to pay, then that's right. That's predatory. So, I mean, I think that I'm, I think that I'm asking the same questions you are, I hope. 
Yeah, I don't have the answers. Unfortunately. And, I, and I think the, the, the cases that Sarah pointed out are ones where, you know, hey, I want a fun little hat for my character. There's nothing wrong with that. And it doesn't – maybe there is some I – Well, I think there, you have a faulty assumption. There could very well be something wrong with that. You can't just say there's nothing wrong with that if the game is presented in a hypothetical example. The game is presented in a way that is constantly luring you to the idea of wanting a new hat. However, mm-hmm. it shows it off or plays mm-hmm. with this idea or presents you when you load the game with here's a hat or that whatever it was, yeah. Activision or EA patent or both. I forget. I'm not trying to. I think it was Activision actually. Yeah, smirch these sure. companies where you load the game Actually, and I I'm see in an these awesome. Things. I can't be <laughs> smirching them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, right. True. That they are people. Um, you see some awesome kill from a guy in the hat, you know, the character's hat just flutters perfectly as she jumps from ledge to ledge and it zooms in on it. And subconsciously you're mm-hmm. thinking that is cool. Like, I, or it's I, worse than that. The patent was about yes. matchmaking you with people that have hats. Right. And right. Everybody's got hats, right. but you, and you're yeah. the only person without a hat. And so that's where I was saying at the beginning of my rambly answer that we don't under, we're finding ways to exploit the human psyche mm-hmm. faster than we're finding ways to understand what that, does to us as society and people so while your statement that there's nothing wrong with wanting to play dress up or whatever i think it, it the foundation is faulty it's kind of like saying advertising doesn't work on me it, it doesn't mm. then why do companies spend billions of dollars on advertising like it works on well, enough people yeah and i don't know well no if the game is present then that's sort of insidious does that still insidious design right i mean if you're saying if you're presenting the hat as if i mean i gave that as an as an example and that is all right to your point, dependent on how it's presented, right? If a hat is presented as being a solution to, you know, is is the apex of experiencing the game, then that's now, then now we've moved that from an innocuous bonus piece of material into like, this is core to what you're being presented as the game's inherent experience. So, right, there are definitely, whether or not that actually is mechanically true. So I think that's an interesting additional point to make is like, well, if you're selling this experience to someone and saying that you need to pay to have, then that's that comes back to the same fundamental interrogation, right? Yeah, yeah. it's tough. I don't... <laughs> no, it's interesting. I feel I mean, like... I, it is tough and interesting. Yeah, go ahead. No, I, did, I, I feel bad, Jeff. I feel like you asked us simple, straightforward <laughs> questions and and... Sarah and I maybe dropped a little grenade. That I, didn't no, know. No, 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 I literally want to have right a panel on you. this. I literally want to have a panel on this at college that's like <laughs> ethics and design and having people from the philosophy department and having game designers sit down and talk about the impact of, of like the fact, the responsibility inherent to design and, and the fact that it, you can't avoid ethical questions in it. So yeah, it's like I'm and, going back and, to college because that sounds awesome. <laughs> let's do it I mean, there, let's, set up, let's set this up for real. We'll talk after. But sure. This, this should happen. Yeah. Christian, you know that you and I have had many conversations about this offline. Uh, this is, I think, a big, big topic. And it's – I don't think it's as easy even as we've presented it thus far, as complicated Correct. as we've gotten. It, the, the hole goes way, way deeper than that because, you know, the, uh, uh, <laughs> this this idea of what responsibility and freedom do you give to the player? Is it my choice to do that? Am I being manipulated? If I am being manipulated – Aren't I being manipulated anyway? Shouldn't aren't I being manipulated to want things in a game because of the way the game is designed? I want I want to win. I want. I mean, and I don't earliest... think manipulation is a bad thing. And it's right. You know, like as a comedian, that's mm-hmm. my job when mm-hmm. I'm on stage is to force people to laugh. Right? <laughs> and like a, a game is manipulating you to find that next colossus or give you a reason to keep playing like manipulation at its core is not bad i 100 percent agree jeff the first thing that video games ever did was ask you to put in another 25 cents mm-hmm. to keep <laughs> yeah. going so yeah. you know, it's not like this is new yeah. so 
Anyway, it's an illusion of choice and but free we will. Agree. We can just agree on that, shall we? <laughs> and we can also agree that uh, four billion is a lot. Four billion is a lot. All right, uh, <laughs> Christian, what's your story of the week? Uh, so there's going to be this great panel at PAX East that just got announced here on this show. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, um, so it came out, I guess, last week after our show and the rumor. So maybe people have heard about it, but it looks like now it has been confirmed, confirmed air quote by Eurogamer that Metroid Fime, it, Metroid Fime, <laughs> Metroid's fine, guys. Uh, Metroid's fine. How's Metroid? Oh, it's fine. It's Metroid? It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Metroid Prime 4 is being developed by Bandai Namco with some developers that were uh, part of the larger LucasArts Star Wars 1313 team. And um, that it was referred to as it was found in LinkedIn profiles, I believe, as a first person adventure game. And then, of course, the Internet, you know, took it from there, discovering the other trinkets here and there and that it is um, in Direct collaboration with Nintendo, I think, was this person's job description posting. And uh, and now Eurogamer has come together with some unnamed sources that have confirmed it and that it's in a little more development than otherwise we were led to believe and that the developers have a, a strong pedigree of other games behind them. So hopefully Metroid is, in fact, fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the Singapore... <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> wow, good way to way to make that seem like you intended to do that the whole time. Um <laughs> <laughs> this is Bandai Namco's Singapore studio, which is a relatively new studio that, as you said, has a lot of former LucasArts staff. And these are the some of the, the group that worked on the canceled Star Wars 1313 game, as well as many, many other things. <sighs> what do you think about this, Christian? Are you um, – I know you love the Metroid Prime, and we've all been very excited that Metroid Prime 4 is – coming because we know nintendo gets games right oh wait it's not being made by nintendo uh so how do you feel about this is it in good hands are you are you excited or are you a little worried by this news i i hope it's in great hands the last nintendo non-nintendo made metroid oh i can't the metroid prime the other m was developed by team ninja and i think while i like a lot of team ninja's games i think that is the worst metroid Maybe of all of them, there might be another Game Boy one, but no, Metroid 2 is real good. They're real good. So I'm a little nervous because of that. But that being said, if um, Bandai Namco coming in and working on it is the only way we're going to get another Metroid, I'd much rather have another Metroid and cross my fingers and hope it's good than never get another Metroid, right? That's that's the side I'm on. So hopefully it's great. Hopefully it comes out and we see some more information about it this year. And if Nintendo's track record on the Switch pays off or, or continues any game that they have kind of put their name on or given their properties to have been great so far. So I have to hope that same happens now. Yeah. That's my take is that um, the reason I have a lot of hope for this is uh, Mario plus Rabbids kingdom battle. I mean, <laughs> that game is so good and it was just like, Ubisoft wants to take our characters. Okay. Uh, and I know there was some oversight from Nintendo or at least some collaboration, but it seems odd to me that they would outsource Metroid Prime Four, being such a big deal to the to, but to the. Nam, Sarah, correct me if I'm wrong, but they worked on other big Nintendo properties before. This isn't their first foray into working with these beloved characters, right? I, I, I um, was it? They did an arcade Mario Kart, and you probably have it in the dock. I should scroll because you do a good job of putting things in here. 
Yeah, Smash Brothers. They did Smash Brothers. Oh, that game. Yeah. I've heard of that one. That game. I mean, that game nobody nobody cares for that. Yeah, people don't have feelings about that game. So this is good. We, we Metro Prime Four is <laughs> happening. It's coming, and uh, they're making it in Singapore, and a bunch of people that have made good stuff are working on it. So thumbs up all around, I guess. <laughs> right? Are you a Are you a Metroid Prime fan, Sarah? I I was I have no newsworthy opinions on Metroid, which makes which I, I was just kind of hiding in the back and just sort of dreaming of that thirteen thirteen trailer. Uh, is what yeah, I was doing. Isn't that right. sad that that game didn't happen? Ugh. Oh God! Yeah, yeah, it hurts. Mm-hmm. Those no opinions sound a lot like someone who's doing the voice <laughs> of Samus in an upcoming Metroid <laughs> game. Oh, that's so that is confusing. I see why that would be confusing. <laughs> I have no opinion on Metroid before. Oh no, a Metroid has entered. Power up the pulse beam. I get it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, apparently just putting the fact that you're working on a single player game in your LinkedIn is enough to like alert the internet to my God. I thought that would be safe. Gemini. Do you have, when you get a, when you get a big job like this, is, is that, do they sp- explicitly say no, no LinkedIn listings? <laughs> no, I've never seen LinkedIn. I've seen friends and family. I've seen Twitter. I've seen resumes. People dig through resumes. Yeah. Um, but I've not seen LinkedIn mentioned, no. Because, like, <laughs> it's LinkedIn. <laughs> I don't know. There are more, yeah, there are more video game scoops that are broken from LinkedIn profiles than anything else, I think. God. It's ridiculous. Uh, we did get some legit news coming out of uh, Japan from the uh, D23 Expo in Japan, uh, Disney's big conference that they do here in California and also now, I guess, in Japan. I didn't know that they did one in Japan, but now clearly that happened this week and we got a new trailer for Kingdom Hearts 3. Remember Kingdom Hearts 3, guys? It's still happening. We, it was announced back in June of 2013. Wow. Really? And uh, they said they were making it, and then five years went by. And evidently what happened is they changed engines. It was uh, an internal engine at Square, and then they went, ah, oh, this isn't working, and they switched over to Unreal Engine 4, which seems to have caused a complete uh, day one reboot on this thing. And wow caused a lot of the delays. A lot of people speculated it was going to come out at the end of 2017. Clearly that didn't happen, but now it looks like we may be getting it at the end of 2018. There's a lot more movement on this one. According to square, there are around a hundred people working on kingdom hearts three right now, split into three teams, uh, each of them working on three different worlds in the game. And we saw a new world Based on the your nightmares, uh, based on your nightmares, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, legit, kind uh, of, kind Monsters of, Inc. Yeah. Monsters Inc. World yeah. from the Pixar Monsters Inc. nightmares, um, just Monster Sora is my nightmare. Just everything else, fine. <laughs> everything else is fine. <laughs> yeah, right. Everything else is adorable and <laughs> wonderful. Uh, so, uh, Kingdom Hearts three new trailer, cool happening. Um, Sarah, are you? Uh, are you excited to play Disney characters in Kingdom Hearts three? Um, I heard mention of Rapunzel. I'm a I I kind of like I like myself some Rapunzel. I do. Um, yeah, I didn't. This I, is the Tangled version of Rapunzel from Tangled, which I never will forgive them for calling Tangled instead right. of calling it Again, Rapunzel. Rapunzel. Wusses. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. I completely agree. Mandy Moore, very good in that movie. Very Indeed. good voice very actress. Good. Very good in the animated show as well. She's fantastic. It's, it's a great show. Yeah, yeah. she's so good. Ugh. She is us. She's us. <laughs> she's every woman. <laughs> she is us. <laughs> this is we. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, well, 
I guess that's all we need to say. Christian, Kingdom Hearts three, yes, thumbs up. We're excited. No, I mean I've never finished any of the any of the others, so no. I uh, I have I know some friends that are um, kind of evolved, involved in some form or fashion with the game, and I know that they're very excited with what they've seen and what they've been able to contribute. Uh, That's very vague, but uh, it has a lot of great IPs in it, so I'm excited to see what people do with it, and hopefully it, it comes out. I guess at this point, right? Uh, it has to because they're showing a lot. They showed it some stuff at D23 here. And now they're showing it again in Tokyo. So it, it seems like it's on pace now to get a release date fairly soon and then kind of keep chugging along, which is big news for that game. Yeah, it seems like the the last push, three teams working hard. It seems like they're crunching to get this thing out by uh, the end of this year. So we'll see. Take care of yourself. They wouldn't be making such a big... <laughs> <laughs> Take care of yourselves. That's actually good. good note. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, let's uh, move on. We've got lots of games to talk about. I want to... Man, I have so many cool things I want to talk about specifically in the VR segment. Mm. Uh, But let me first thank our sponsor, uh, which is Blue Apron. Tonight, guys, tonight, literally moments before we started recording, I cooked a meal for my wife and – well, just for my wife, not my child. He had uh, what he always has, which is – For my wife. For my wife and the floor around my child. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, which enjoyed the meal very much. I cooked, though. I cooked this meal because of Blue Apron. Blue Apron made it possible for me to cook. What did I cook? It was an orange glazed chicken with garlic mashed potatoes and roasted vegetables, and it was absolutely delicious. I love the the fact that we record these on Sunday evenings because literally I cooked that thing that I'm talking about tonight. It was Awesome. And I feel like I can do that now because of Blue Apron, because Blue Apron eliminates the things that kept me from being a person that cooks for my wife, which is picking out a recipe because that's really hard and I don't know where to start. And there's, you're like, oh, I feel like chicken. Let's look for a chicken recipe online. There are a billion of them. And these are awesome recipes that Blue Apron sends directly to your door. But also that second thing, which is then having to go to the grocery store and find the stuff and bring it home and then have like a little bit left over of all that stuff that you bought for one specific meal and now your your fridge is full of a little bit of this and a little bit of that you can, <laughs> blue apron solves all of it they sell they they send you exactly what you need to make the recipe the recipe is delicious it's like restaurant quality i'm i'm not even kidding it is wonderful and you make it yourself so you know what goes into it you know it's healthy you know it's good for you and my favorite thing about it is that I've actually developed skills on my own. I'm leveling myself up in how I'm able to make meals. I feel awesome because I'm able to cook for my wife and she's able to sit there and help, uh, you know, the child destroy the kitchen while I chop, chop, chop and bake and cook and do cool stuff. I think you guys should try Blue Apron. It has changed my life. It's made me a better person, makes me a better husband. I love it. And we're going to give you $30 off your first order. All you got to do is go to blueapron.com slash DLC, and you'll get $30 off. You check out this week's menu, see if it interests you. There are all kinds of uh, – there's a lot of variety. You can select if you're a vegetarian. You can do that. It's really easy. It's very flexible. There are 12 new recipes every week. You just pick the ones that you want, two, three, or four, depending on how many – you want that week. These are high quality, beautiful, wonderful, delicious um, uh, recipes. And I honestly look forward every week to what Blue Apron is going to send me because it's like the highlight of my week. So check it out. Blueapron.com slash DLC. Get you $30 off.
It's time to talk about the games we have been playing. Sarah, uh, you have been playing uh, one of our favorite games from last year and a game that I think reinforces everything you've been talking about regarding great performances, specifically from some wonderful female actresses. Mm. Uncharted Lost Legacy, right? Yes. Uh, (laughs) It's so fun and they're so good. I mean, I would just... Ah, I love Claudia Black so much. She's so good. I could listen to her to read the phone book and I would be happy. Right. Um, I wouldn't even have to climb cliffs and shoot bad guys. But um yeah, no, it's lovely. And just the way that she um she navigates some sort of traditional story beat moments of like, oh no, your dad, etc. Um, is just so um <laughs> so delicate and kind of like and she kind of folds it into this very cheeky kind of person who uses seems to use their charm and sense of humor as kind of a defense mechanism and it's just so eh, it's lovely. Yeah. And a lot of all the like puzzly exploration y throwback call about callbacks to Uncharted 2 make me happy because it's like one of my favorite games ever. So yeah, are you, where do you place Uncharted Lost Legacy in the rankings of Uncharted? Mm. Uh, the, you know, where, I think, Christian, you said you thought it was the best Uncharted. Wow. It's the best Uncharted, but it only exists because of the others. So it's that weird, mm-hmm. that weird thing. But it is my fa- it still is my favorite. I, I love it. Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. I mean, but it's it's hard for me because I love that series so much. And that, I mean, answering your question of why, of why game voiceover, like I met one of the designers uh, at that first PAX and went home and they were like, we do cool stuff with actors. And then I went home and watched all of Drake's fortune on YouTube, like literally a whole play f- playthrough. And then when I got, and then I was like, Oh great. So I can just do video games then that's like my whole goal now. Um, <laughs> so like there is no, even the uncharted that aren't my favorite, favorite uncharted. I have passionate feelings about, like I have really passionate feelings about uncharted three, even though I think it's, you know, it broke my heart in a lot of ways. Um, so where, where lost legacy, like, I think Uncharted 3 swung for fences that 4 didn't. And there's a lot of stuff I really love in 4. I mean, 2 is my, 2 is my baby. 2 is the perfect for me. But, um, but I'm not sure. I mean, I feel like I've replayed it recently, but maybe Lost Legacy beats it for, for sheer fun. I, you know what? I think the shooting, I still prefer the shooting in 2. I don't, I'm not as much of a fan. Like the, the tuning, the gun tuning lost it for me with 3 and 4. So. Interesting. I I think it's 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 hard to rank them for me because I feel like in a lot of ways the later ones build on the earlier ones, and so it's it's kind of I'm kind of forced to just say which story do I like the most, mm-hmm. and in the you know two is is really good. What's your what's your rankings, Christian? Lost Legacy, and then how does it go for you? Lost Legacy two one. Oh no, sorry, Lost Legacy two. Four, one, three. Hmm. Yeah, I can follow that thought. Four is so good. Four, four story wise is so good. Yeah, and it doesn't have you know spoilers, I guess, but it doesn't have that supernaturally thing that kind of yeah. de- derails the first two a little bit. Um, I mean, I anyway. think my my favorite is an animated adventure starring Cassie would be my favorite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh my god, Cassie, real good. Uh, yeah, check out my Twitter. Uh, let's make it happen. <laughs> um, yeah, for, for me, for I get the, the backs, the, the flashback mm-hmm. of when they were young, kind of retconning in some characters. While I love that adult version of that character, I think the way they flashback and they have you as a young child leaping, you know, 200 feet across rooftops. Mm-hmm. They also had moments of that in, um, other earlier games in three, two, where you're young Drake. And I feel like that mm-hmm. kind of, hinders the overall presentation but four is 
also so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the way that game plays out your relationship with your the, the characters along the way. But again, it's built on relationships, you know, I, I'm curious how someone and if any of our listeners, maybe it was and if they enjoyed it, I'd love to know how the characters connected at, with Uncharted for being your first experience with those characters, if it resonates as strongly. I'm not sure. Yeah. I mean, um, I know both of you uh, have been playing um, Shadow of the Colossus, uh, right? I mean, at least I think, Sarah, you said you were I'm, adjacent. I to can't, playing that, my heart actually becomes so swollen and tender in that game that I'm not sure I could play it with my own hands. Like, I have to watch my brother yeah. play it because every inch of it is just so heartrending to me that I kind of can't. Um, but I can watch him, which is I watched him play it, the original, and then I'm now watching him play the, the new one. And it's just, hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Who the, who, who the real villain? That's the question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sure. Uh, Christian, you've been playing the new Shadow of the Colossus, right? On uh, on that on that HDR, you've been playing that HDR. I have not been playing that HDR. I have some HDR stories. You you haven't been playing it. Uh, Yeah, Um, I'm playing on my regular PlayStation 4. um, But you did not lie. Even on a regular PlayStation 4 on a 1080p screen, the game is gorgeous. The updates that Bluepoint did to it just just phenomenal. And that game. The way I, I think I'm three Colossi deep right now in my replay, mm-hmm. um, it, it it the way it just ever so slightly builds on your knowledge base between uh, Colossus to Colossus, and it's not it's not exact. It's not like one you have to do a jump grab, and then the next one is all the way jump grab, and then some slight new puzzle mechanic. But the way it just kind of layers things on, or techniques and tips that you've learned taking down prior Colossi as you progress through the game. Is so elegantly done. Um, and the fact that the game holds up so well today as it did whenever it was first came out, 2007, 2006, I don't even know. Um, it's just stunning. What a, what a testament to game design. I, I love that game. And if you've avoided it because you were young when it first came out and you just view it as a remake, I wholeheartedly recommend picking up the PlayStation 4 version and, and experiencing it like it was a brand new game. Cause I think it, I think it, it feels like up. a brand new game. It's, it, there's no, discernible difference between that and something that was designed in 2018. It, it, it is uh, timeless in that way and absolutely modern in its delivery and its, its visuals and, and presentation is just off the charts. Stunning. I, like the I think the only things that ever, sorry, go. Yeah, no, yeah. no, no, I'm sorry. I, I was gonna say, I think the only thing that maybe it doesn't seem as impressive today as it did originally is because so many games learned from it and took from it. Like when mm-hmm. that game came out, yeah. the way the camera will do like the Vista pan mm-hmm. or as you're climbing onto this huge Colossus and it pulls out and you see the scale of the world. Yeah. I, I mean, I think I don't have any facts for this, but it, it seems like games like Uncharted, mm-hmm. you know, learned a lot from Shadow of the Colossus and what they've done. And yeah. even um, Assassin's Creed and the great Ubisoft games where you climb the tower and you get the spin of the world or as you enter a new landscape and it kind of shows you what lays ahead. I think a lot of that kind of learned from Shadow of the Colossus and, and what that game did you yeah. know, a decade ago. I think like, yeah, the only other game that I can think of that does scale so with its own personality in, in that same way is God of War, actually, of all things. But I think that that sense yeah. of, sure. yeah, just sheer breathtaking scale um and storytelling and cinema yeah storytelling and cinematography again relationship building like if if i could just if we could have more voiceover equivalents of like moments like aggro 
backing away from a jump and then pushing through it with just a like one little prompt like just that's that's that moment of just a little kick and then persistence um is like is a whole relationship in half a beat like half a beat and you have this like completely legible you know partnership between these two beings and that kind of elegance in storytelling and in game design i mean oh my god oh anyway it's a i think that's a great tiny detail to point out. I mean, it is, it feels real and human and I mean, it's not a human, yeah. you know what I'm saying? It feels uh, organic and um, natural and, and it sells you immediately on the fact that, Oh, this is a real creature that I'm interacting with, not some digital plaything that yeah. I can just, you know, treat willy nilly. And he does that so well again mm-hmm. and again in those games where all of the, the things that you have to interact with that, should feel like burdens uh, don't because you they they're imbued mm-hmm. with such simple elegant qualities that make you care for them. Yeah. I mean, from the Last Guardian and that the way that that creature moves to Eco and and the way um, what's her name in Eco moves Yorda, yeah, um, yeah. So much, so many times over and over. He's he's so good at and that team is so good at creating that magical quality in very simple moments. And so it's such a great example that you. It's, it's in the first 30 seconds is why I just like, you know, we booted it up and it was like, oh, yeah. oh, oh no. Oh, it's the best. <laughs> you <know>. Yeah. <sighs> uh, what else is on your playlist, Sarah? Um, well, uh, I was also watching my brother play. Uh, is it Wolfenstein? Do we say Wolfenstein? Stein. Stein, I think. Stein. Yeah. Like the like the proper, like they do. In Wolfenstein. Uh, Wolfenstein. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is great storytelling in a completely different key. Um, yeah. and, oh, my God. Like, I did not expect Wolfenstein to be like the exuberant, cathartic, like all in kind of mm, like happy release kind of game that it, it ended, ended up being. But um, what else? I want to catch up on the Horizon DLC. I played a lot of indies at the end of last year. Um, so I'm very close to finishing Night in the Woods. Night in the Woods, which I think... I think may have the best comic timing of any video game that I've ever played. Um, wow. Even though it's just captions. Um, yeah. I played, I love West of Loathing. I've been playing a lot of West of Loathing. Also very funny. Mortician's yeah, Tale. Not so that. funny, but yeah. wonderful. <laughs> um, yeah. 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 Sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 not at all. Um, West of Loathing is one that is still back of my playlist that I've been mm. wanting to, wanting to play. I haven't had a chance to, but um yeah, very funny and simple oh. delivery, but it works, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, and it's just there's and the relationship in that game that stands out to me is less so between, um, you know, the the characters within it, but with the but with the designer themselves. So, like, I mean, the spittoons in West of Loathing, if anyone who's played it would know, are are just very confrontational in the most delicious possible way. Um, so there's a lot of sort of fourth wall breaking and kind of um, like, are you sure you want to dig around and spit and just variations on that, that are like that joke doesn't wear out as fast, like ever. I still have it. I've done for maybe like 20 spittoons. And like every time they're like, come on, man, you're killing. This is disgusting. And it's just like the way the monologue that they embark on is so amazing. And it just feels very, very personal and delightful. Um, yeah. West of loathing, get to it. If you have that. I haven't heard anybody talk about Mortician's Tale yet, but I have oh. seen it on Steam. This is you, – you play uh, as a mortician, I'm assuming, right? Yes. You play as a mortician. Um, it's uh, – this – yeah, it's on a, in a whole, on a whole different note. It's um, – you play as a mortician. You prepare bodies for either cremation um, or, or burial. Um, 
And as a and the, the gameplay, it's short enough that it doesn't really get too repetitive um, as far as the ritual of it. But it does do it enough that it feels like a, a ritual. And it just introduces death as a conversation topic um, in this very wow. gentle. I mean, it's like death positive. The way that we have sex positive as a term, it's like <laughs> death positive. And so, like, if you don't know what that means, play this game and then kind of understand and like you become rapidly aware, or at least I did, at least in America, that it's not something we talk about or are comfortable talking about and, or, and planning for it is difficult. And, um, so the, the, this person's participation in this stage and this transition and, and who you're serving, you know, family members primarily, um, and then also honoring the person themselves. I mean, all of these things and considerations are, are in this very small, very quick game. Um, and I, I yeah, I was kind of blown away. I mean, like I haven't I've had one interaction with a corpse in my life and it was like my mom. And if I had had this game to kind of inter- engage with and kind of pre, you know, so sort of consider some of these things, um, who knows? I don't know. I just and or thinking about my own death, like what do I want to have done? Like these things that we put off or we avoid um, this very, very gentle game kind of brings up um, really beautifully. So recommend it. Wow. Again, that's called a mortician's tale. Um, and it's something that I talk about a lot with regard to the potential of video games and interactive entertainment in general is being inside the systems of something make you understand it on a level that looking at it from the outside in doesn't. And mm-hmm. crazy that that can also apply to death. I mean, wow, what a what an ambitious idea and uh, one that could be fraught with missteps, mm-hmm. you know, sure. and to, to the fact that they uh, deftly navigated that difficult subject seems uh, laudable in and of itself. And also, I mean, it's fun. It's uh, perfect for a game because we engage in death, simulated death constantly in games. So the idea, that, right? right? Yeah. So it's like, what was it? Viscera cleanup? What was that other one that was sort of more of a humorous? Does anyone remember that? Where you play a janitor cleaning? Oh, yeah. There's a, there's a game. I'm sorry that I can't remember the title. But you you play someone cleaning up the hallways after someone's played a first-person shooter through them, basically. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> a cleanup de- detail, something like that. But, yeah, so, I mean, right. It's sort of – I'm shocked, but also not, that it took so long to kind of take up the other side of death as a thing that we do in games, um, you know, yeah. the other attitude about it. So. And it shows a general maturation of the of the whole hobby and industry, I think. I agree. Know, which is cool. Christian, what about you? What is on your playlist? Talked about Shadow of the Colossus. I played, I received a code for OKKO, OK Let's Play Heroes. Um, it's from Cappy Games, who yeah. seemingly only make great games, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I'm sure they have do. one stinker out there that no one knows about, uh, but I think they make great games. They also apparently like to tease us about one great game that continues to look great. That we'll well maybe never see, but uh, it's Hello? always yeah. I think we'll get it. It It'll always come. looks It'll it always here. looks great when we see it. Um, and this is a based off a Cartoon Network show that I was not familiar with, and I haven't since watched some of the show because I wanted to get a feel for it. But the game itself, um, it's kind of you're exploring this your, your little town, this this uh, shopping center where OKKO lives and hangs out and you're doing little tasks for people and it's kind of relationship building. It has a good sense of humor as you're getting to know people and interacting with them. And this kid wants to become a hero, but in order to become a hero, you have to get a hero card and he's trying to scan. I think this is also the plot of the cartoon and he's never officially recognized as a hero. So you have to do these heroic things. And so the game is, is kind of two parts, at least what I've, 
I've played of it so far, and my understanding is kind of not a super long game and kind of how it progresses, where you're doing tasks for people around the town and hanging out, interacting with people, and then also doing 2D brawler fights as these robots because the big bad guy took over the card manufacturing um, plant in town. This is all in the first five seconds (laughs) of the plot. I'm not giving away in-game spoilers. Um, But man, when I booted up this game, I had just this moment of my jaw hit the floor and it's like, Oh my God, it's, it's dragon ball fighters again, where this it's just the way games can look in terms of replicating cartoons is just stunning. And then, so I had to educate myself on the cartoon a little bit. And this game doesn't use the exact same art style as the cartoon, Mm -hmm. but the, the liberties they've taken with it in terms of making the characters look like the characters in the cartoon, but then giving it its own twist. It feels like more of an artistic choice than, you know, the technology can't render that style of graphics, but it is absolutely stunning. If you haven't heard about the game, at least pull up some video and check it out because the way you walk around the world and it kind of scales and gets smaller as, as you're walking around on what appear to be 2D planes as you go through this shopping center or into a convenience store and navigate around to interact with the other heroes. It is, you know, the same way the South Park game and Dragon Ball Fighters. it just blew my mind. And I was just walking around, just delighted experiencing the world. And then the fighting is simplistic brawler mechanics where I've gotten so far, you're able to call in other heroes that you meet in the world. Um, and, and use their attacks as you kind of help them out in the world to get their hero card. They'd come in and do assists. Uh, so I don't know if it has the depth or complexity that you might be looking for in uh, in a game right now, but in terms of just a breath of fresh air and a really fun experience, and I am assuming if you're a fan of the IP, um, I think it's pretty easy to recommend. Like I said, I got a code. I think it's 20 bucks, 15 or 20 bucks on uh, the steam playstation 4 marketplace well, we actually have some codes to give away if you want a code for okko let's play heroes you can send us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com we have uh not not a ton but a few i think we have some for xbox one and for playstation 4 so um please note in your email which you'd prefer and we'll just give them away on a first come first serve basis so dlcfeedback at gmail.com for okay go let's play heroes codes Sarah types seriously on her phone. <laughs> you want one? I got, I got you hooked up. I do. No okay. It is, it is beautiful. Please, if you, even if you are not interested in the game or you've seen the cartoon and don't like it, pull up uh, some gameplay video because it is stunning. And then, speaking of stunning, another segment of Jeff didn't lie um, at work. Um, I, <laughs> finally, can we get a jingle for that? Um, set up. I, I had the, the Jeff the, didn't lie this once. <laughs> I liked that. That was great. Um, I, I had the privilege of setting up uh, a bunch of consoles and a beautiful 4K HDR TV. So the first thing I did is bring my copy of Horizon Zero Dawn and get it running. My God. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. so, it's like seeing video games for the first time again. It's so pretty. We sat there. Another guy in the office sat in there with me and we just turned HDR off. HDR on. HDR off, HDR off, <laughs> on, off, on, off, on. And then he had his copy of Shadow of the Colossus, but he refused to let me put it in because he does not have HDR at home. He didn't want it to be ruined. <laughs> uh, but it's beautiful. And then I played some PUBG on Xbox One X, which is my first time uh, playing on a, on a One X. I just have a regular Xbox One at home. And they're, they're, put, they're doing work on that game, which is nice to see. I... I came home and played some on my regular Xbox to see if it was just the difference of playing on an X versus a regular Xbox. Um, and while the game does not compare to the PC version that is out, 
they are making improvements. And if you're interested in the game, it, it runs significantly better now than it did at launch. And I had two top 10 finishes in my, my playtime with that game. And it's still, it's still a lot of fun. I, I recommend it most on PC, but if you don't have access to one, I can now recommend the game on xbox as well it's uh it's a good time if you have an x you're saying no i I, it's best on x definitely better on x but i came home and played it on my regular and it's it even that is vastly improved than it was the first week cool (laughs) best on x you heard it here first (laughs) (laughs) yeah just get on x and play the game yeah actually i think okay ko let's play heroes might also be best on x X. (laughs) (laughs) i like that you almost called it okay yeah, okay, um, <laughs> so I'm not going to spend a lot of time in this segment because I want to save up all my minutes to use during VR talk because I've been playing a ton of VR this week <laughs> and it's an amazing week for VR and I'm going to be in a monologue there for I'm, I'm sure but I do want to mention briefly a couple of interesting games that I have played this week out of VR one are you talking about beautiful things that look like they're a cartoon uh, a game called Ash of God's Redemption, which isn't out yet. I got an early uh, code that lets you play. Um, I don't even think it's the full game yet. But um, imagine the, you know, the Rankin and Bass Lord of the Rings from the 70s. Uh, that art style, that sort mm-hmm. of. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. As a video game and all hand drawn. <laughs> stunning, stunning uh, turn based combat, but no dice rolls. It's all skill based game is really hard i've found so far i've played very little of it I, it is I'm just uh just getting into it the only bummer is that the game is so beautiful and it looks like the art took so long to make that a lot of the game is static images there are cutscenes that are fully animated like an animated movie would be in that style but a lot of the game are these i mean stunning incredibly detailed awesome images of characters, but they just sort of stand there as you read the text underneath them or hear the, mm. the text spoken. Um, so it's a little static that way, but the fighting uh, is an isometric view and it's still hand-drawn, still beautifully animated. And mm. that has a lot of wonderful detail to it. So a game you should really check out, Ash of God's Redemption. I can't speak to um, much beyond its presentation because I haven't gotten too deep into it because I've been playing so much VR, but um, a really gorgeous game. Uh, and then Kingdom Come Deliverance is another game that I got an early code for. It comes out this week. It is, uh, what if somebody made Skyrim or The Witcher? Probably The Witcher is more applicable, but in the real world, like there's no magic, Boom. there's no fantasy, there's no goblins and trolls and orcs. It's, it's basically um, Renfair, the game. It's it's like you know what when people go to Renfair and they just pretend to actually be back in the 1400s. That's Kingdom Come Deliverance. It is a very detailed, authentic role playing game where you get quests and you do things and you go out into the world and you learn to fight. But everything is tried to is uh, trying to be presented as authentically. Uh, historic historical mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. possible it is uh it's amazing um and you pretty darn the game cool. and it's just like i'm sorry we don't recognize this technology or planet it on <laughs> oh, it, just, it just turns off <laughs> you've lost uh, all your teeth <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah dental health is a really big part of the game it's not, <laughs> yeah. pre- not pretty at all um <laughs> no but it's interesting i mean there's the combat the sword fighting is really 
Mm. Like you, you have to use your momentum and you block things and you chain together attacks and, and like how your body is leaning in any given moment is really important. A lot of detail. Uh, I know someone who needs to play that game. It makes the game. You know that game? Uh, no, I'm just saying I know something. Jason Vandenberg needs to play that game. He's the creative uh, director on For Honor because he, uh, yeah. he's in love with swords. That's why he made that game. So he needs to – I'm going right. to have to text him. It's pretty cool. I've what I played so far, again, uh, just scratched the surface of it. But, um, I mean, it is very much – if the idea of just living in the past seems interesting with, of course, a, a story that unfolds. But it's it's all about – the king on the throne who really was the king at that time and all of the fallout of what happens. And I mean, it's like living history. So a really ambitious idea. Kingdom come deliverance is the name of that game. It's bringing Nordic right. Lark to your doorstep. Nordic Lark. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Um, let us move on. Now. I do want to thank our second sponsor, which is Casper, my mattress. Oh man. <laughs> Casper is, uh, Oh, has got a limited time president's day offer. Whoa, first time ever. You know how uh, when you're watching TV and uh, they say, come down to the mattress place on President's Day and we're going to sell you a mattress? Now Casper is doing that, but you don't have to leave your house. It's better. They're going to hook you up with an awesome mattress on for President's Day, but you don't ever have to do any of the garbage that's involved with going to the mattress store. You don't have to deal with a pushy salesperson. You don't have to try to lay down on the mattress for two seconds and decide whether you like it or not. You're actually going to get all of the cool benefits of Casper, which is their variety of mattresses, three different mattress lines to choose from. You've got their high quality mattress. You've got their delivery right to your door. You've got their 100 night guarantee where it's completely risk free. You sleep on it for up to 100 nights, decide if you want it. If not, they come back to your house and pick it up free of charge. If you don't like it, hassle free, all of the stuff that you know and love about Casper. But guess what? Because it's President's Day, you've got an added discount. This is pretty cool. Limited time president's day deal. Um, for a limited time, go to casper.com slash savings and you will receive up to $200 off your purchase of $2,000 or more. So this special offer expires February 20th, 2018. You can go to casper.com slash terms for more details, but it's a pretty awesome deal. And, um, I, you know, we, have talked many times about Casper and how great it is to have that thing just show up at your door. I, I was able to cut mine open. It unfolds. It's so easy. It's so simple. And you can try it for up to a hundred nights. It's, it's easy. So check it out. Casper.com slash savings this time. Uh, it's, you know, it's the time. President's Day. The, our presidents would have wanted you to sleep soundly. Maybe not our current president, but our previous presidents want you to sleep soundly casper.com slash savings oh man what a great week for virtual reality games i have been loving it and we're in this place now honestly where everything that comes out seems to be such high quality there was a while there i know where vr got this reputation of being mostly tech demos or proof of concept or small bite-sized experiences or just wave shooters or something. And that wasn't inaccurate. There were definitely exceptions all throughout VR's lifetime. But now we're in this place where big games are coming out 
They're AAA. They are big, meaty, deep experiences that have lots to do. They're full games. And I have been playing a few of them. I probably won't have time to talk about all of them uh, this week, but rest assured I will get to all of them. Let me start with Sprint Vector. This is the new game from uh, the makers of Raw Data, which was uh, a launch VR game that was already deep and full feeling. Um, That was a big wave shooter, but Sprint Vector is something completely different. I've talked about this uh, when I played it at PAX's in previous uh, months, but it it has finally come out as a full-fledged game. Sprint Vector is a racing game where you are running through these really cool levels that are multi-platform. It's almost like, it's almost like Wipeout, the the uh, TV show Wipeout, where people are running through obstacle courses, or American Ninja Warrior, um, except you have like rocket boots, and you're able to run through at breakneck speeds. You're clamoring over walls, you're leaping, and it's got an incredible array of moves that you can do to increase your time. The way you run through the environment is you swing your arms wildly, grabbing. <laughs> you know, be pressing the button as your arm is extended in front of you and releasing it as it passes past your waistline. So you're swinging your arms, grabbing and pulling yourself through the level. And as you get that rhythm and do it better, sort of like almost like slalom skiing, you Hmm. pick up speed and you get to this insane pace. And so many people have talked about VR causing nausea. They have figured out a way because of that motion of your arms that it doesn't cause nausea. You are able to do these wildly fast moves and uh, this in- incredible level of kineticism inside the level where you're you're jumping. You can leap into the air at any point by push pulling your arms down at the same time, and you can like stick your arms out in front of you like Superman, and then you'll fly for a short period of time. You you run up to walls and you can grab them and yank down, and you'll be thrown up the side of a wall. There are ways to drift around corners that are really high skill. I mean, the thing that's so amazing about Sprint Vector is that it's going to be, I think, a great esport because the skill ceiling, mm. the skill ceiling is off the charts. This is a game where you can finish any race pretty easily, but doing it with style and with speed requires an incredible amount of skill and. I think that is what makes it so addictive and fun. There's colorful characters and lots of things to unlock and crazy, um, a, a wide variety of crazy courses to unlock as well. I am very high on Sprint, Sprint Vector. What's what that? did you play on? And what is it available on? Oculus. It's available on Oculus and um, Vive right nice? now, coming to PlayStation VR, I think, in a few weeks. And we will, Christian, when it comes to PlayStation VR, uh, we will be having competitions. The Literally the only downside of this game I see is that it, you can't play it and not get sweaty. And that <laughs> oh, share sweaty headset. Oh. Yeah, that's yeah, a bit yeah. of a bummer. Uh, because it's like one of those games where I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to take a break. Because, I, I mean, it's a workout. It's a workout, but it's, it's so awesome. Really cool. I just want to see you covered in sweatbands, just like all over. <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> goggles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's what I need. I just need a, a series of sweatbands. <laughs> yeah, you just got to suit 40, up right. Yeah, 40 yeah. to 50 sweatbands. You got to wear the uniform to do the activity. <laughs> um, I'll take a break, Christian. I know you actually played some PSVR this 
week as well just the tiniest bit that i play and then i observed some but uh skyrim vr on the old playstation vr this is coming from a person who is not a huge skyrim fan i don't dislike it but they've never you know for many people it is their favorite game of all time right like it's really connected with a lot of people and um this version of the game playing on playstation vr did i say that already or not Mm -hmm. um it's the only way you can play it right now oh is it it's still okay yeah. Um, as Fallout, that is on others. Right. It, at times, I found it really, really cool because of that thing of VR of being in the world. And at other times, I felt like, and just in the little bit I played and, and where we got to in the game, um, it kind of still wasn't designed for VR in terms of item management or inventory or looking to pick things up. It's it's like I felt as if we were turning our head very wildly to kind of do an inventory selection or walk into a room and kind of scan to see everything that's in there. Are you playing with a controller or with the move controllers? Uh, the dual shock and the, yeah, just the dual shock, the move controllers were not powered up. Mm. Does that change how you're able to pick up and select things? I feel like I had to, Oh look. yeah, okay. very much so. You don't have to look at them. No. How do you know they're there? Well, I mean, you ha- you have to see them. You oh. Look at them in so far as you can see them, but you don't. You're not selecting things with your face. Got it. Yeah. So I should try it. I should try it that way because it was like, it almost felt like the difference between uh, PUBG on computer and Xbox, where I'm so used to on keyboard and mouse, you kind of just tab and you're you know moving your yeah. fingers really quickly to pick things up, okay. and then on mm-hmm. Xbox, it's menu, right trigger. It just it feels cumbersome because it's not how I'm used to playing it. And I kind of felt the same thing on Skyrim. And also I believe to quote um, the esteemed VR connoisseur, Jeff Kanata, the game looks like, butt. it looks like a, butt. Ew. <laughs> it does not. you're like, Oh cool. I'm in this world. And then this oh, like this no. person comes by and it's like, Oh, <laughs> I'm in this world too. <laughs> Can I tell you something though, Christian, having played fallout in VR on PC, yeah. I'm confident that, Whenever Skyrim VR arrives on PC, it's going to look good because Fallout VR on PC looks amazing. So I know it's a newer game and Skyrim's a little older, but I think that's just a limitation of the PlayStation hardware. Okay. Yeah, I'm glad you've played it too because, yeah, the, the move controllers, all they do is run out of battery for me. <laughs> I right. <laughs> um, no, I think uh, one of the things that impressed me the most about Skyrim VR is how well they made all of those things that clearly weren't designed for your yes. motion controls work. Mm. And I haven't played it not with the, I haven't played it with the dual shock. So, you know, we're both coming at it from different ends of uh, ignorance here, but uh, <laughs> I, I was very impressed with how well they made everything work. It takes a second to grok it, but once you do it, it all works really well. Cool. Yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll dive back in. We get a, got the cables to charge the, it's, it's also move controllers. They take like the, not the tiniest USB. It's like that weird size. It's a whole oh. thing. Huh. That's the whole thing. I, I hate those. If you listen to last week's show, Move I love PSVR, but I hate those controllers. Oh no! Yeah, they need to be replaced, man. They, there's that rumor that there's um, you know, some patent pending thing for. I just hope that happens. I didn't yeah. realize they were still using them at all. I thought like, because I was I was in Joust and I was like, great, called. That's the only use they'll ever have, and that's it. And like, no one will yeah. buy them anymore. Um, yeah, Joust is the only application that those are actually good with. Yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. Um, Johann Sebastian's Joust is what we're talking about. Yes. Um, okay, so everything up to this point has just been prelude for me to now talk about the game that I've been wanting to talk about. Uh, Sarah, uh, you want to go grab some coffee? It's, we're gonna, it's gonna be a while, I think. So I just, I'm just gonna mute everything and watch a movie if that's okay. <laughs> 
I'm gonna go find Skyrim VR and play. Yeah, go get something like uh, I don't know, like the Lord of the Rings trilogy is a good. I'm gonna play Ascension on my phone, and we're gonna get to that. I'm just gonna play Ascension <laughs> oh, on my yeah. phone. <laughs> um, we may not get to that based on how long I go. Anyway, um, <laughs> apologies in advance. I have been playing Subnautica. Okay, Subnautica. I've been playing exclusively in VR. And I know it's available outside of VR. I can't speak to playing it outside of VR. I know people enjoy it outside of VR. But yeah, losers. I think it, the, the way to play this game is in VR. Subnautica is uh, this new genre that has popped up that I've played quite a number of uh, entries in and have enjoyed games like Ark Survival Evolved and Rust and Conan Exiles, these survival games where you start with absolutely nothing. You're just a naked person, basically, in in a harsh environment, and you have to craft everything and level up, and then you go from literally being a naked, fragile little (laughs) thing to having this empire potentially on, you know, on your island or whatever you build, you can end up building vast structures and getting cool things and taming creatures. This is that genre. And I have talked at length on the show before about Ark Survival Evolved, which is a very, very popular game and Conan Exiles, both of which um, I have enjoyed quite a bit and played many hours of. Neither of them even remotely touch Subnautica, in my opinion. (laughs) I I'm so impressed by this game. And I'll tell you why. So so the idea behind Subnautica is you are a advanced sci-fi type fella or lady and your spaceship has a problem and you jettison out in a life pod and you crash land on water world, an entire world that's just an ocean. And you've got this floating survival pod in the distance, not too far away from you floating in the water, sinking slowly into the water is your massive spaceship on fire. And you wake up in this life pod. It has many systems that are broken on it, but it still has this replicator that works that you can create new items. So long as you have the requisite materials and blueprints it's lost its blueprint database so you have to recover blueprints as well and you emerge from this life pod and this sea of water all around you which by the way looks absolutely gorgeous in vr i love good water tech (laughs) right oh man good water tech key key. yeah so you leap it's all first person you leap from your life pod into the water you submerge under the water and there is this entire world teeming with life and vegetation and coral and wreckage and you start exploring and the thing that makes Subnautica for me so much better than all of these other survival games is it is pure magical exploration You've got yourself an oxygen tank. You can go deep into the water, but your oxygen is being used up every time you take a breath. And it's so smart. It doesn't, it doesn't just constantly go. Every time, periodically, as you breathe, little chunks of your oxygen go away. Anyway, tiny detail that I love. But you can go swim, swim, swim. But uh, you know, if your oxygen gets 
it goes away and you're still under the water, you will die. So you have to go to the top, refill your oxygen, go down. So little by little, you build better oxygen tanks, which can have a larger amount of oxygen in them. You can have reserve tanks that you can carry with you that you can swap out on the fly. You start building uh, floating oxygen pumps that you can have pipes that let you go deeper and deeper and deeper in the water. And you start exploring the ocean and learning about the creatures that inhabit this alien world and this alien ocean. And you'll find caves and crevices that you'll swim through and you'll find deep giant chasms that start (laughs) the pressure will make your oxygen go faster. So you have to craft a, a better oxygen mask that can go deeper into the water and you'll have to, you know, I've, I created this massive series of pipes that let me go down deeper and deeper and deeper. And I found these new biomes that are deeper in these crevices with like molten lava seeping in and new kinds of creatures and new kinds of materials, gold and diamond down there that lets me build better and better stuff. All the while in this absolutely gorgeous world that I can move around in full X, Y, and Z axis because it's water in VR where the process of having goggles on your face feels like you're wearing a mask in a snorkel or scuba outfit. So it's all playing into this level of immersion that's off the charts. This game has completely usurped Monster Hunter for me. It's the game that I like I anytime I have two minutes, I can rush into my room and put my VR headset on. I'm gonna jump back into Subnautica and play a few more minutes of. It is incredible. There are there are dangers down there. There are crazy giant fish that will come and attack you. There are little fish that you can cook up and eat. The idea so in a lot of these games like Ark Survival Evolved, you'll have all of these blueprints and you'll know what's coming or whatever. What's so cool about Subnautica is it's pure exploration. You're taking a scanner and you're scanning things and that's revealing new blueprints. Or you'll just I'll just try something like hitting a uh, a piece of, of a plant underneath there and that will knock off some seed or something that'll give me a new blueprint. It is it's what I love about video games. It's a world that has untold mysteries just waiting for me to uncover. And I I can't recommend this game enough. It's called Subnautica. I recommend it in VR. I know you can play it out of VR, but it is spectacular. It's been in early access for a long time. And I know a lot of people have played it. I did not play it until it came out of early access. And now I'm just in love with this game. But like, how do you really feel about it though? (laughs) (laughs) Does it have a, a goal? Like you're trying to escape this planet? Does it have an end game? Or you just kind of... There is a story that starts to emerge. And I, I've heard people talk at length about how great the story gets. I'm only about six hours in, maybe less. And um, I have only started... Basically, you start finding things in wreckage at the bottom of the sea. Little audio logs and certain things that start painting a, a more interesting picture of, of the world that you came from and the world uh, that you've discovered. And so I think this, basically the only, the only goal at the beginning is to survive, but I assume you will eventually maybe get off this planet and go back into space. I don't know, Hmm. but the survival and the exploration and like finding a new thing in this game or finding a new crevice to, to, to swim through that has 
a, a crazy new, I mean, there's like bioluminescent creatures that only exist at a certain depth. And there are, you know, there are completely different areas that feel um, like tropical and magical and, and have shimmery sort of uh, light aqua color to them and sand and, and flowing, um, you know, vegetation. And then there's others that's harsh and dark and uh, rocky. And it's like, it's so good. It's so good. I feel like if I played this game, I wouldn't leave my rescue pod. It's dangerous. The ocean will kill you very quickly. It does. Well, I'm also thinking like with the death of the coral reefs and everything, like what if this is what we have left in like a few years? Yeah. Of, like, oh. you, sorry. you had to make it sad. <laughs> uh, but precious. <laughs> Dad, but precious. <laughs> it is precious. Like life. Um, Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah, I mean, it is as somebody that enjoys, you know, snorkeling and and doing a a little light scuba here and there uh, when I'm on, you know, wild vacations to Hawaii or whatever, as a complete amateur, this is like that fantasy played out, you know, writ large, right? It is. It, it, but it's cool because it's alien too. So you don't know. It, it could be any, there could be anything. And a woman with three breasts could just be under the ocean for you and, and Arnold Schwarzenegger crazy. to discover. <laughs> <laughs> and you find these crazy wreckages. I don't know. I I, I know that I'm. Um, no, I I love it. It's amazing. I'm being quiet because it sounds amazing. It sounds fantastic. It is quite something. I love the way video games use the full calendar year to release now and I also love your genuine excitement for games because now I get to see your top 5 games of the year get made in real time as like last week Monster Hunter was game of the year and now this week it's like that game doesn't exist. I see the stack happening. It's hard, man. Games are so good now. I there's like half a dozen games on Steam um my friends and I text back and forth. Have you played this? Have you played that? Have you, oh, look, this game just came out on Steam. I'm like, I don't, I don't have time to play all the amazing stuff. There's so much good stuff now. Yeah, yeah. it's th- it's really dense with it. It's really hard to keep up with. Yeah. I mean, I could also talk about Sirento, which has been awesome, but I'll maybe save that for uh, next week or for next week when it's good. Sirento. Yeah. <laughs> it's very good um and it's also on sale on steam this week so if you have a chance to play sirento vr it's also excellent um all right well that does it for this episode of uh, dlc we do have a parting gift coming up so stick around for that but in the meantime uh sarah tell people where they can keep up with you and the things that you do on the internet Sure. Uh, I'm on Twitter uh, sporadically um, at S-E-L-M-A-L-E-H, which is how you pronounce my first initial and last name. No, it's how you spell it. How you say it is El Male, um, which everyone gets wrong. I feel like nobody nobody knows how to say it, and that's completely fine. Um, yeah, I so that's, hard. I hope I got it right. Yeah, oh, I think you did. Otherwise, I would have remembered it. Yeah. Okay. I think you totally nailed it. Um, so I'm either yeah. I'm either accurate or forgetful. Or forgettable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Forgettable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> um, or uh, yeah, no, I think you got it. Um, yeah. So that's the best spot. I mean, I I also update my website very sporadically. Um, but there will be news coming out soon. I think about where the water tastes like wine, which I'm excited for. Um, or excited about being in that has oh, an incredible wow. cast. Yeah. Um, and I'm not talking about myself in that. That's like everybody in it is amazing um it's i mean there's a stylized game huh that is oh quite it's something so pretty it's so pretty yeah. it's so pretty and yeah and then so you've got 
I mean, you've got Sting for some reason. You've got Sting, if you like Sting in your games. Sting's in there. Um, the artist, the musical artist, Sting. Um, and then, yeah, and then uh, Dave Fenoy and Melissa Hutchison and Kimberly Brooks and and Sissy Jones. And I mean, just like seriously, a, a who's who in game um, voiceover. So I'm really excited about that. Just lovely sort of storytelling swapping game um, set in various points in American history where you're kind of meeting people from throughout um, American history as you wander the landscape. Um, so yeah, so Twitter and, uh, and that's kind of the best spot, I guess. Awesome. <laughs> Christian, how about you? What do you got going on this week? Uh, well, I want to tell people to keep their eye out for Metroid Prime 4, which I'm very excited. <laughs> <laughs> which is fine. Uh, no, it's, uh, fine. <laughs> fine. it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Um, I did, uh, this on at least 20 more minutes, which you can find at patreon.com slash Christian Spicer. Regular episodes also come out on the Uninformed Opinions podcast feed on Friday. They drop otherwise on the Patreon feed on Tuesday. But this week's show was about the Solo, a Star Wars story trailers that came out, both the kind of tone trailer and then the first plot trailer that they released. So you can find that. And then uh, a, a good friend slash nemesis of mine uh was kind enough to take me to see black panther so i posted a spoiler free black panther review that you can find as a bonus episode of at least 20 more minutes as well and um we're doing some live department of parentings on facebook so you can find the the video at facebook.com slash department of parenting and this isn't this week but march 6th i am headlining Lestats in san diego 9 p.m come out it will be great jeff what about you well, I have several other shows for you to check out, including the Slash Filmcast, where we talk about game, uh, movies, movies, not games, <laughs> movies like the Black Panther. Um, although I think this week we're going to be talking about The Villainous, which have you guys, has either of you guys seen The Villainous? No, what's this? This nope. is a Korean action film that has maybe the craziest first five minutes I've ever seen. It huh. is, it is a long listening. T- Two-hour movie. Uh, I mean, it's a, a crazy, over-the-top action revenge film. It's sort of uh, the, a, really a genre at this point, where, which is is sort of like the um, the female assassin who who is turned into an assassin at a young age. You know, the professional, or uh, there's a bunch of them mm-hmm. like that. Um, but this, uh, the first five minutes of this movie are just bonkers. Anyway, we'll be talking about that <laughs> on the Slash Filmcast. And uh, I also do We Have Concerns, which is a comedy science show, which you can find at wehaveconcerns.com. So fun. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, finish the show up now with our parting gift. Sarah, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? Oh, God. I was like, oh, how about Argentine Tango, which is what I'm addicted to doing. Um, that's a big recommendation. But if you haven't seen Lady Bird, go see Lady Bird. <laughs> Lady Bird, very good. I want to hear more about this Argentine Tango, though. This is like not oh, the thing you're actually doing with your body. This is a physical thing you're doing. Yeah. This is an actual dancing thing that I do with my body in, in combination with other people. Yeah. it's And it's very gaming. Is Argentine tango different than other kinds of tango? Yeah. I mean, well, you've got like stage tango or ballroom tango, mm-hmm. and those tend to have more of a, like a frame or sort of a performance-oriented kind of reason for being, um, whereas Argentine tango is like – it's like salsa. It's like kind of um, – except less popular, um, but where you – but you go out at night and you socialize with people, and it's not meant for um, 
like you can watch it, but it's you're seeing maybe sort of 10 to 30 percent of like you can only perceive 30 percent of the experience by watching it. Everything else is and the value of it and the reason for being and all the technique is serving the feeling of dancing with someone else. Hmm. Um, so I've seen um, people who aren't that engaging to watch and then you watch their partner and they're inc- like blissing out and you're like, oh, that's interesting. So it's got this um, and it does, doesn't have a basic step like other like salsa or swing. Which means that um, every step you take has to be really deeply, thoroughly connected. So you have a leader and a follower, and um, it kind of breaks down to um, sort of in game design terms. Terms, it's like a a small um, sort of move set, but with a huge possibility space because it's like you can only step forward, sideways, and backwards in you know times two for two people. But those permutations are like hugely explosively expressive, um, and so you can kind of you know. So if I'm taking a sidestep. I need to feel that from my partner and what size and what quality. And so it becomes quickly very absorbing. And and the kind of connection that you experience as a result is incredibly powerful and addictive. Um, wow. Because when you hug people for more than 30 seconds or 20 seconds, you release oxytocin, right, which is the bonding hormone. Um, so imagine, you know, if you're doing that three songs or four songs in a row with one person and then times an entire night of dancing, it's like kind of getting high. <laughs> um, so that's what I do these days. Wow. That's <laughs> Most awesome. Of the time. You, you, this is, you, you constantly have to have a rose in your teeth, right? That's the rule. That would be the ballroom or the state or like maybe even Parisian tango. Wow. That's, there's wow. not as like sharp, there's a lot of sharp head movements that you see in the sort of, um, movie you know kind of depictions of tango and this is like like i've literally started parting my hair to the other side of my face because the right side of my face is pressed against someone's face wow so it's like a very gentle you know touch to the side of the face so there's no real room for a rose there but how did um, you get into this yeah. is it, did you take a class or something or did you i did yeah my, well my mom actually uh, speaking of my mom but she um i kind of danced i kind of started it to connect with my mom um who passed wow. but she took me to uh, she loved it. She loved it so much. And so she took me to a festival in 2009. Um, and I thought it was really cool. I was impressed with it. Having done different solo dance for performance reasons kind of my whole life, I was really captivated by this dance that was just about how you feel to another person and not about show. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, and then I started taking classes. I didn't really take it up until I moved out here to LA. Um, and to, to come at, come back to game voiceover because a lot of the time I'm not recording with other people it can be very isolating. Um, and same with commercials too. Like I'm not you know, in, a, in a room with other people. So I kind of needed this other side to kind of fill my soul and get my human fix. So that's kind of when it came in. That's awesome. Wow. Very, it's very great. cool. Argentine tango, take a lesson and then go see Ladybird. Um, yeah, and then go see Ladybird. <laughs> Christian, follow that. I mean, mine's just for a genre defining movie that comes out on Friday called Black Panther that changes yeah! action cinema and comedi- uh, comic book cinema as we know it. But otherwise, it's no tango. I was so excited about Black Panther, you guys. I'm really so good. excited really about good. it. Christian's very lucky that he has such a very, very nice friend to bring him bring him to see Black Panther. Yeah, I, I can't believe I had to wake him up three times in the movie, but I think he liked it. Oh, that is just not even remotely true. No, it, yes. I am very lucky to have such a fine, fine friend who not only would take me to see the film, but would pick me up and be treat me uh it was a total gentleman the entire the entire screening. Yeah. 
yeah. Uh, and now you've you've got like hours of uh, media that you've made from from that, and not a, not a mention, not a mention of poor friend. That's who, not true. Uh, if clearly you did not listen to the bonus episode of at least twenty more minutes. Oh, right? I'm not a subscriber. Okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> you all of my content lately. Yeah, yeah, Jeff. <laughs> you clearly haven't listened, watched my Twitch IRL feed. <laughs> I started cooking and taking a bath, but at hour four, uh, was spent entirely thanking you. You have been thanked and mentioned in all of them, my friend. Oh, mm. well, that's that's good. That's I'm good. getting the story now. Now I'm getting the story. <laughs> I get uh, it. We got a listener suggested uh, um, parting gift. What are we doing? We're parting gifts. And you can send in your parting gifts to the show by sending them to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. This one comes from listener Damien. He says, for a viewer-suggested parting gift, I would like to recommend a podcast. About a year ago, I discovered The Dollop. It's a bi-weekly American history podcast where comedian Dave Anthony reads a topic to his friend and also comedian Gareth Gary Reynolds, who uh, usually knows nothing about the topic. The great thing about this podcast is that it isn't about traditional classroom history like the Civil War or Great Depression. They cover topics like 10 Cent Beer Night, the collapse of Enron, the San Diego Tank Chase, Radioactive Boy Scout David Hahn, and the Rube who is the best baseball player you probably never heard of. Uh, both guys are incredibly funny and also a great way to learn of America's colorful, at times dark, past. Uh, anyway, love DLC. Thanks, Damien. Excellent suggestion. I don't know of that podcast. That is uh, very cool. Yeah, funny people. Good show. I want to play a video game starring radioactive Boy Scout David Hunt. Can we, can we do that? <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> the goggles, they do nothing. I think that's what is... I'm thinking of Radioactive Man from The Simpsons. <laughs> anyway, my uh, my parting gift is um, the uh, – I think we've mentioned this maybe in previous parting gifts, the uh, the new David Letterman show, uh, My Guest Needs No Introduction. Did we bring that up before, Christian? I think we may have. I think so, yeah. But the second episode's out second now, right? episode just hit. I uh, watched it last night. Uh, it's George Clooney. The first one was uh, Barack Obama. And this show is uh, wonderful. And it is – a showcase of goodness, which I think is all too missing in popular media. It seems like David Letterman has decided that he doesn't need to do anything. So the thing he will do is try to make the world a better place. And uh, he has the power and the friends to highlight things that actually can affect the world. This is not a, just an interview show. It, it is billed as an interview show, but it is so much more. It's deeper. It's more interesting. It actually talks about things that you can do to make the world better. And uh, I highly recommend it. I think the George Clooney episode is uh, unexpected. You would think that the Barack Obama episode would touch on <laughs> moments of social impact because he is a public servant, but uh, the George Clooney episode really is about that as well. And not about celebrity per se, although there's lots of fun interactions between uh, Letterman and Clooney as well. So it, it's watchable and fun, but also I think, actually is about doing good. So highly recommend. It's on Netflix, I should say. Netflix. Yes. All right. That's it for this episode of DLC. Uh, thank you again to Sarah Elmale. And uh, did I do it? Did I do it right? You nailed it. <laughs> nailed it. And Christian Spicer for hanging <laughs> out with me. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to all of our uh, folks in the chat rooms who are hanging out this whole episode as well, making the show better in real time. And uh, thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for those cool bumpers. And thank you to you for listening to the show. We hope you enjoyed it. 
We'll be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.